Hey, it's really good to uh, see all of you here this morning. Uh, and uh, I think it's really important as we continue the second part of our talks on sexuality and how we relate to it as Christians. So let's ask God for His help as we uh, look at His Word and to uh, instruct us. Dear Fathers, we come before you today. We know that in many ways uh, we are still full of our worldliness and our flesh, and we pray for your Spirit to guide us, to teach us how we may overcome uh, the sexual sins in our lives, the temptations that we face, and as well as that, to see how we should relate to other people who are struggling their sin. And we pray for all these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Now last week we looked at the big picture of how uh, the world looks at sexuality and how we look at sexuality as God's people. And I tried summarizing it in the sermon, but I realized that it would take too long and I just gave up halfway. Uh, but basically where we left off last week was in God's picture, uh, basically God was God over everything that we do and sex, our sex lives um, are made for service to Him and that our identity is in Jesus Christ and therefore we must live our identity not just in everything else we do, but especially in the way that we relate to each other in terms of sexuality. But today I want to bring the focus in a lot more to the individual, to ourselves, to our church, to us as we consider the question, how do we live out our Christian lives in terms of sexuality? Uh, and how do we relate to people who may ha- relate to uh, their sexual lives differently from what we understand in God's Word and the Bible? So I want to begin by giving you this uh, real-life uh, story where uh, I used to know this guy, and I can't be too specific. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, this was a friend of mine, and he was uh, really obsessed with sex. Okay, He was really obsessed with sex. I guess uh, he was the most sex-crazed person uh, I've sort of known in my life. And um, he had a terrible reputation of uh, sleeping around. He had many sexual partners, And I think that he was just uh, really addicted. But later in life, I was glad to hear that he became a Christian. And, uh, you know, he got married and everything. But after he uh, became a Christian, uh, I was told that in his church, uh, they actually had a special exorcism for him to exorcise uh, the, I guess, the uh, what they call the demon of sex addiction in him. And from what I heard, it was a really unpleasant experience because... Uh, basically, he went to someone's house and they exercised him, and there was, you know, uh, there was lots of crying, and I heard that he vomited, and it was a lot of, it was just a really unpleasant experience. And uh, I think that at the end of the exorcism, uh, he still wasn't really cured of his sex addiction. So, is this the way that we should address uh, sex in our lives? Um, should we be having exorcisms for the demon of sex? I guess in your life. Is that something that we should be doing? Well, I don't think so, because I think when we look at God's Word, when we look at the Bible, which guides us in how we should live as Christians, it actually tells us that our sexual sins come from the flesh, come from our sinful nature, what we used to be in the past. So, if you look up here in uh, Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at quite a few uh, Bible passages today, and I hope that you just follow what I'm saying, and you could open your Bibles. Okay, we'll be looking at Colossians and Galatians, and it's kind of next to each other in the Bible, so that's helpful. But look at what it says. It says in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to 
to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I want you to notice very particularly what I've highlighted for you, which is that we are, I guess, in a conflict, in tension between the sinful nature and the spirit, right? So sinful nature and the spirit. Can you go back to the other one? So there's a conflict, there's a tension within ourselves between the flesh and the spirit. So the sinful nature literally is the word in Greek, which is uh, the word sax, which is flesh. It's, it's, there's a conflict in the Christian life between the flesh and the spirit, which now lives within us. And I think this is a very, very important thing to understand that if there is this conflict that's going on between the flesh and the spirit, then our sexual temptations, our sexual sins are part of the old way that we used to live, the flesh. So it's not so simple as having some sort of exorcism and you cure yourself of this sin. But rather, as we see here, now that we are saved in Jesus Christ, we will continue to struggle with the flesh as we become more and more godly and more and more like the Christians that we are meant to be. That is our identity. Now, if you look at the passage that we just read in Colossians chapter 3, you'll see this to be the case. So uh, move forward to the third slide. So basically what has happened to us is we have been saved in Jesus Christ. We are now raised of Christ. This is our new identity, but we still struggle with our old nature, the earthly nature as we see here. Okay, So let me read this to you, and you can see what has happened in the past and where we are in the present. Since then you have been raised of Christ, this is the past tense, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above and not on earthly things. For you died, past tense, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, so this is where we are now. We are hidden in Christ and God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Okay, this is very similar to the sinful nature of the flesh, which we read in Galatians. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all these things, all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So if you see here, because we are now a new person in Christ, we are to put away the old fleshly nature, but instead to put on the new spirit and to put on what is appropriate to our new identity. Now, I think this is very helpful for us as we uh, see this diagram. So if you go to the next slide, okay, you can skip the next one. So think of it this way. Uh, we were here uh, in the bottom corner where we rejected God and we made ourselves our own mini-gods. Okay, We reject God, we cross out God. 
But now we have been, this is us, okay? We have been saved through the death of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, which gives, gives us new life, through the Holy Spirit living in us, and now we live under the Lordship of Jesus and God. This is the reality of where we are now. This is where we are sitting here today. But the problem is, even though this is our identity, we are now in Christ with the Holy Spirit living in us, but yet our flesh, our old sinful nature is sort of struggling with us and pulling us from living out our new identity in Jesus Christ. And that is reflected in our sexuality as well, right? in our sexual life as, as well as in the other ways that we behave. So I think this is so important for us to understand because what it means is as we struggle with our sexuality, as we struggle with our sexual lives, it means that it's a, it's a daily struggle with the flesh. It, it's, a, it's a struggle where we fight against our sinful nature in order for us to live in our new identity in Christ, in the Spirit. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen uh, the movie Law of the Rings. Uh, you all heard Law of the Rings. And the writer J.R.R. Tolkien was actually a Christian. Uh, and he wrote about Christian things as well, apart from just fantasy, right? And what he wrote about uh, 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 sexual sin was, it requires a great mortification, a great humbling of the flesh, a deliberate conscious exercise of the will and self-denial requires temperance and restraint. And what he was really saying is, as we try to live out our new identity in Jesus Christ, we have to struggle greatly with the old flesh, which is sort of pulling us back to the way that we used to live before. And this struggle will require much prayer, much denial, much Bible reading, much Bible feeding, much accountability, much fellowship, and much confession. We will fail at times, we will sin at times, but we will get up and we will continue to live out our lives, not giving in to the flesh, but obedient to the Spirit. So I remember a friend of mine who once went to a, a talk uh, by a very old pastor. This man had been uh, in ministry for more than 50 years, so you can imagine how old he is. Anyway, this uh, friend of mine uh, struggled with sexual sin. So he went to uh, this, uh, this old pastor and he asked him whether you ever overcome sin in your life. Do you ever stop struggling with sin? And this old pastor said, no, you don't. Uh, even at his age, after 50 years of ministry, he still said that he struggles with sin in his life. He still has to wage a daily battle with sin in his life. It still requires discipline and, 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 and a desire to want to follow the Holy Spirit. And I think that's very true. We will never be able to say one day, I have done away with sin, I'm the perfect man. Because that's not the reality of the Christian life, and neither is that the reality which the, uh, which the, the picture of the Bible paints. So think of the experience of the Apostle Paul, right? Romans chapter 7 here. Okay, sorry, it's a bit small. But just listen to how I read his experience. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, that this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, it is the sin living in me that does it. 
So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Oh, what a wretched man I am! Who rescued me in this, from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I know that some commentators uh, may disagree with the way I'm interpreting, uh, interpreting Romans chapter 7, but I am convinced as we uh, preached through Romans a few years ago and even now, that this is a picture of a born-again Christian, a regenerate person, who's yet striving to live a Christian life. He's trying to live out the reality of his Christian identity, but yet he finds his sinful nature, the flesh, the sarks, pulling him back and wanting to do what is, in his own mind, sin and wrong and wicked and evil. But yet, he continues to struggle. Paul continues to struggle and knows that Jesus Christ ultimately will forgive him of all his sins and give him power and motivation to overcome it. And I think that this is so important for us to understand that in the area of sexual sin, you cannot just cure yourself of sin. You will continue to struggle, you continue to fight, and you continue to press on and make progress in your Christian life. Where as you move along, there will be disappointments, but yet there will be victories, and overall, you keep getting stronger and stronger in Christ. So a few months ago, I went to a closed-door conference uh, by these people who uh, had same-sex attraction. That means that they were uh, attracted homosexuality on lesbian ways. And one of the psychologists uh, came up to share about uh, the, some of the experiences and, and tried to counsel the pastors who were sending people to be counseled by this psychologist. And this psychologist complained and said, Oh, you know, you pastors, uh, many of you have the wrong understanding of uh, homosexuality and lesbianism and things like that. You just send me people and you just ask me to cure them so that when they come back to my church, everything will be okay. But what I realized and what the psychologist was saying is you cannot just cure people in that way of sexual sin. It is something which for some people will be a, a lifelong struggle. For some people, they may completely overcome their sexual sin, but still, periodically, there will be times of weaknesses. For other people, it will be a longer battle, a longer struggle, a harder picture of uh, trying to strive to live out their full Christian identity. So I think that's the most important thing that we have to understand, that the sexual sin is not something which overnight you are just free of, but rather it's a struggle of the flesh which will continue in life and you must continue to press on. But what we must not do, what we must never do, is that we must never make compromises or make excuses to go back to our flesh, to go back to the sinful nature. As we've seen in Colossians and, uh, not Colossians, Colossians and Galatians, we must continue to renounce the sinful flesh, the sinful nature, and to live out our lives in the Spirit. So I've met people who view pornography on the internet or wherever in your handphones, and I'm sure that some of you may have seen there was a survey done recently where I think more than 50% of people by the time they reach Sec 4 have viewed pornography on the internet. And sometimes Christians make excuses to allow themselves to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. They'll say, oh, I watch pornography because... It helps my sex life. 
Uh, I watch pornography, but no one is hurt. So that's okay. Remember, that's one of the fallacies that we learned last week. That as long as no one is hurt, that's okay. That's not a God's value. That's the world's value, right? Uh, I've, I've heard Christians say to me, Oh, I watch pornography. I'm actually helping people earn a living. So these are all excuses, right? Because at the heart of this is actually going back to the flesh. In fact, when you make excuses to go back to the sinful nature, you are actually renouncing your identity in Jesus Christ and you're going back to being a rebel before God. So last week we looked at this um, picture, which is the second picture of the two ways to live. And really, uh, the sin that comes into the world is... Uh, where we, oh, sorry, where we choose to make ourselves God and deny God his place as God and Lord of our lives. Okay, so the next slide. So we choose to make ourselves God and reject God. Now, when you start making excuses to go back to the sinful nature and deny the spirit, you are actually committing the sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden. You are denying God his place in your life and choosing to make yourself God. And that's why it's so dangerous to make excuses or lies to indulge your sinful nature. So, for instance, uh, for people who have a homosexual or lesbian attraction, when you start making excuses that is genetic, then you're actually saying genetics allows me the excuse to go back to sin in the flesh. It's just an excuse. It's just a lie that you're, you're following. In fact, one of the testimonies that I heard from uh, many of these Christian brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attraction, uh, lesbians or homosexuals, they said one of the most unhelpful things the church does is to say that, well, because it's genetics, we, we feel that it's okay for you to, to, to be married in same-sex marriage. Because it just makes obeying God's word that much harder when you, when you muddy the water and people are not clear as to what is the sinful nature, fleshly behavior, and what is the spirit, Christian behavior. In the same way, uh, I've met people who commit adultery, and they also make excuses. And the excuse is, oh, you know, I'm not having good sex at home. I can't find good sex at home, so I must be allowed to find good sex outside. Because, you know, after all, as we saw last week, one of the values of the world is sexuality is, a, is my identity, and I, and I need to express my identity. I've actually heard of a Christian husband in an evangelical church say to his wife, if you don't give me sex, don't blame me for looking outside. Now that's just an excuse, isn't it? Because that, that's, that's using an excuse or a lie to indulge in sexual morality, uh, the flesh. Couples who sleep together before marriage have said to me things like, oh, you know, it's okay uh, because we really love each other. And because we really love each other, it's okay for us to have sex, even though we're not married. Again, that's going back to the flesh, going back to the sinful nature instead of following the Spirit. So I think the Project Timothy speaker uh, the week before last said a very helpful thing. He said, Christianity is not therapy. Christianity is about holiness. But the problem is that for many churches now, Christianity is about therapy. And as we try to seek to make people feel better, we actually encourage people to go back to the flesh instead of living out the holiness 
that God requires in our new identity in Jesus Christ. So that's the one lesson that we've learned in terms of seeing sexual sin as it is, that is part of the old nature, the sinful nature. It's also helpful for us in the way that we view other people who are struggling with sexual sin, who may come into our relationships, either at work, maybe at your offices, maybe in your school places, in universities, maybe in the army. Maybe they come and they your relatives. But as we have seen in Galatians and Colossians, sexual sins are not the worst sins. Right? Remember we read all those lists? Together with sexual sins was anger, rage, malice, right? jealousy. But we rarely class anger and rage together with, I guess, sexual sin. We, we seem to see that sexual sin is somehow a special category of sin which is much worse than other categories of sin. But biblically, that's not true. So I always think of my friend, right? The one who had the exorcism for his sex sin. Uh, my, my friend actually is quite a proud man, actually. Why wasn't he exorcised of his pride? Because his pride, as we will see when we do Zephaniah and as we did Amos, as we are doing Amos, is a sin too before God. He's a very proud man, my friend. He needs exorcism for his pride. But why didn't he get exorcised for his pride? Because in so many churches, we see sex as the main sin. Sex is the only sin, really, that people preach against. But sex is not the unforgivable sin or the worst sin or the, the sin in which Jesus makes, cannot love you with, right? Because Jesus basically forgave in the Bible the adulterer. Jesus forgave the sexual immoral. Uh, immoral. Uh, Jesus is able to love the single mother. Jesus is able to love those who have had an abortion. Jesus is able to love the sexually immoral. Jesus is able to love even those who have committed a pedophile act. Do you not think so? Well, I think that Jesus is able to. Provided these people come back and they find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But I think the problem for us is, in many churches, we present a picture that everyone in the church lives a sexually perfect life. We are sexually sinless. So anybody who sins sexually, anybody who struggles sexually, when they come to church, seems to have the impression that they are among perfect people who are completely sinless in their sexuality. But we know that the church is not a place of perfect people, but the church is a place of forgiven sinners. And I know that there are many people at church who do struggle sexually. But the problem is that when we present this perfect picture, then we are actually presenting a picture which is not real. And when people who struggle with their sexuality come to our midst, they, they become stumbled because not only do they get presented with this false picture of sexual perfection, but in many churches they face self-righteous judgmentalism by other people. They face uh, prejudice in many of these churches. So whether we ourselves uh, can reflect upon that is important. So I wonder whether there are times, and I've done it myself, so I know the mistakes I've, I've made. Sometimes we make crude jokes, just, you know, just jokes, 
which you thoughtlessly make. But in the context of a Bible study, maybe there is someone who is struggling with this sin. And by making this joke, you are actually putting them offside. Maybe he's calling some sexual sins beyond salvation or an abomination. When actually God says that people can still be forgiven if people repent and turn to Jesus. Because I remember in my previous church, uh, there's a Christian brother who's faithful in every way. But I sort of know from the way he dresses, from the way he talks, from the way he acts, that he uh, you know, has the same sex attraction. Okay, I, I know for a fact in my previous church, there's this person I have in mind. But he's a very godly Christian man. As far as I know, he lives out his Christian life in godliness and holiness. But I'm, I'm sometimes shocked because I do realize that people in my previous church give this Christian brother the cold shoulder. He is a godly person. He's a faithful Christian. But yet because he acts in this way, he talks in this way, he dresses funny, people are prejudiced against him. Even though he's a faithful Christian and he's holy and I don't think that he sins sexually. And these same people who give this Christian brother, uh, the cold shoulder, they in themselves actually seem very happy to indulge in their sinful nature in many different ways. But yet they feel that they are less guilty because their sins are not sexual. So I know that uh, in, uh, in the UK, uh, there's this guy. Okay, next slide. This is Vaughn Roberts, right? Because I've never seen him before. This is Vaughn Roberts, right? Okay. So, I mean, he shared that uh, in, in, in some books that I've read how uh, he struggled with same-sex attraction. I mean, he's, but yet he's a very godly man. He's a very faithful pastor. He's a leader of one of the uh, evangelical movements in the UK. Yet he's, he struggles with same-sex attraction. But struggling with it is different from sinning. Orientation is not the same as behavior. Temptation is not the same as action. And obviously, just because he struggles with same-sex attraction doesn't mean that we should be prejudiced against him, that we should condemn him. Because here he is faithful, he is godly, and he is living out his Christian identity, even though his flesh, the nature of his fleshly temptations is this way. And I think this is a very important lesson for us, that people who struggle sexually, in different ways, are just struggling with sins of the flesh. Just like we struggle with sins of the flesh, but in different ways. And we can help them. We should support them. We can help them in terms of their Christian progress. And the wrong attitude is to be prejudiced, to give them the cold shoulder, to be self-righteous in judging them. Just because they act different, or they look different, or they dress different. So that's the first point. That actually sexual sins are just sins of the flesh, the sinful nature which we have left behind after Jesus has died and risen for us. The second... Uh, oh, okay. You notice my outline today is all Fs. Okay, This is a rare thing. I, I, never, I never do this off. Funny things, okay? But just so happens all of the sermon points are Fs. So the second point is to flee temptation. To flee temptation. 
Okay, so let me uh, let's look at three passages. Okay, let's look at uh, James chapter one. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, we saw that uh, last week the world says that sex is just intrinsically meaningless. Do you remember we said that at the very first point? That the, the world basically says that sex is just another physical activity that you enjoy, something that's pleasurable, like maybe swimming or playing soccer or playing tennis, something like that, right? Going to the gym. But the Bible, God actually says that sex is an extremely powerful thing. It affects you as an individual emotionally, relationally and spiritually. And therefore, it must be reserved for the privilege of marriage as an expression of love between man and a woman in an exclusive relationship. So if you look at 1 Corinthians here, you see that actually the wrong sex is extremely destructive and destroys and damages the temple of the body. And the Holy Spirit grieves when the Christian sins sexually. And I think that in many ways, Fleeing sexual immorality is something that you must do. I've come across people who flirt with sexual immorality, play sexual immorality. But I think that they do not recognize that sexual sin is a very, very dangerous thing. More dangerous, I think, than other sins because of the nature of sex. Because when you choose to sin sexually to a certain degree, every step you take down that road makes it harder for you to go back up that road. You think that you're a free agent? You think that I can sin this way and I can get out? But actually sexually, from what I've seen and from what I understand in the Bible, it's hard. So when it comes to sexual sin, uh, one isolated act becomes a pattern. And the pattern over time becomes a habit. The habit becomes an addiction and addiction becomes a lifestyle and ultimately, like the book of James says, it leads to the birth of death because you are now outside of Jesus Christ. You see, one of the problems is, and one of the lies is, the world says to you that when it comes to sex, you are a free agent, you are free to choose. And when you make those choices, you can always change your mind and back out again. But the problem is that when it comes to sex, I don't think it's so easy. All right. Um, okay, I, I won't quote the eagles. 
Because both of you, I don't think most of you know the eagles, right? Anyway, so I'll just tell you some other things. But like the Christian, my Christian friend, uh, you know, who ended up visiting prostitutes in the end, told me something that is probably true, isn't it? The first time is always the hardest. So the first time you access pornography in the net is the hardest. Then you, you move from soft porn to, to hard porn. Then after you've viewed hard porn, it's easy to move on to other things. And once the first time you see a prostitute is very difficult. But after you've seen the prostitute, the next time, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the hundredth time is easy because you've, you've broken the stigma of it. Right? That you think that I, I'm a free agent, I can make the decision, and, and life goes back to normal, but it never goes back to normal again because sex is such a powerful thing. It's like playing of dynamite, right? It's, it's like, you know, people say in the world that sex is just something else you do for pleasure, like swimming or going to the gym or playing soccer. But it's not, isn't it? It's not like that at all. Because sex is a very powerful thing. You see, like I know of Christian couples who go, up, go out together and they break up. And when they break up, you can tell by the way sometimes they break up whether they've had sex in their relationship. I've seen, not everyone, okay, so let's not, uh, let's not, let's not make a blanket statement here. But many times, if Christian couples have sex before marriage, when they break up, you can see that when they break up, they, they, are, they, they really break up in a very bad way. Because sex has been a glue which has bound them together and they can never be friends in the same way as before. Other people in our midst and other churches have told me about how, you know, sometimes you see couples who are maybe not Christian, but maybe they are your acquaintances or relatives, and they stay together even though they are very plainly to everybody, incompatible. And one of the reasons why they stay together for so long and then break up years later is because of sex. They sort of glued their relationship together because of sex. And then they can't unglue themselves even though they argue and fight all the time. They have nothing in common. Actually, they shouldn't even be going out together. It's because the sex has glued them together. So sex is a very dangerous thing. And sex really is something which God has created in such a way as to imprint itself in our mind. So there's this thing called imprinting. Have you heard of imprinting? And we're not talking about t-shirts here, right? So imprinting is where when you have sex, really imprints itself into your mind. Because the mind, uh, research has shown, is made out of pleasure centers. Uh, and once your brain has been trained to find pleasure in something, it's very hard to reverse it. So let's say young children who are sexually groomed or abused by an adult in some way. What they find is that because from a young age these children have been trained to find pleasure in a certain way, when they grow up it's very hard for them to find pleasure in a normal way. And that's why for many people, research has shown that when they view pornography repeatedly over and over again, they cannot get the right pleasure with normal sex with their spouses because they are training their minds to find pleasure in things which are different, more extreme, harder. So, uh, okay, I'm going to show you a series of slides here. Now, I didn't make this up. This is actually a story, but my, I stole this from my wife. So, if the slides are no good, you can blame my wife. Okay? But this is a story which is a, 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 a parable, a Christian and Jewish parable. It talks about a skylark. Okay, so a skylark is a bird. 
which apparently is in the Middle East, and it's got lots of feathers. So one day, the skylark comes across a salesman who's actually the devil. Okay, the devil is what I call the devil's bargain. And the devil says to the skylark, okay, next slide, right, worms. Okay, I want, I give you juicy worms, you give me feathers. Okay, very simple, right? Worms for feathers. Worms for feathers. Okay, next slide. So, uh, next slide. Okay, so, I'll give you two worms for every feather you give me. And the Skylark thinks, what a great deal, isn't it? Because, you know, usually I have to go and scrabble in the desert. It's very hard to find worms. And here is the devil or the salesman giving me worms for feathers. I don't have to work. And I've got so many feathers. What is one feather? So the Skylark gives the devil uh, his feather. Okay, next slide. Okay, great. So I have so many feathers. Why do I, I don't need to dig. Why, why not? Why don't I just have worms for feathers? And this process goes on. On and on. Okay, so next slide. Until the Skylark gives all his feathers to the salesman or the, uh, the devil. Okay, next slide. Until the one day, the Skylark attempts to fly and he can't fly anymore because he's given away his feathers. So then he goes to, next slide, the desert where he digs and he digs and he finds all the worms. Okay, next slide. Okay, he finds all the worms, but these are smaller than the worms he's eating. Okay, next slide. But he goes back to the devil and he tells the devil, he says, look, I've got all these worms and I want to give these worms back to you in exchange for my feathers. But the devil says, I'm not in the business for feathers for worms. Right, I'm in the sorry, worms for feathers. I'm in the business for feathers for worms. And yen, the skylark, is trapped, right? Because by a series of decisions, you actually find yourself deeper and deeper where you're trapped and you can't escape anymore. You can't go back to where you came from. And I think this is the lesson, next slide, of the skylark. In a sense that you think that you're actually free to do something, that you have free choices, especially when it comes to sexual sin. And I think that you all, we must really pay attention to this, right? We think we have the free choice to make choice, sexual sins. But once we make those choices over and over and over again, we are trapped in a cycle of sin in which it is very hard to break out from. You see, you, you think of um, our brains and how if you, if you sleep with a prostitute or you have an affair, an adulterous affair, do you think you can forget and go back to square one after a year? You can't, isn't it? It's impossible. You, once you get into that cycle, you're, you're trapped. You can't get out. It's different from, uh, the world tells you, you know, sex is like swimming or playing soccer or, or tennis. But when you, when, you, when you play tennis or swim or play soccer, it doesn't imprint yourself in your psyche that way, isn't it? I mean, you, you, I'm sure many of you have played soccer or tennis one year ago. Can you remember what happened? You can't, right? It's just a different thing. And that's why if you look at the, what it says here, uh, this is a quote from this book that I have. It says that researchers have found that once embedded, sexual fantasy life in particular cannot be erased. New fantasies may be learned on top of, so to speak, earlier ones. We, we may become highly motivated not to act on our fantasies. We may learn new behaviors that prove as gratifying or even more gratifying than the old ones. 
The old ones will weaken and wither. Yet they will always be there. The old self and the natural man does not die entirely in this life, even though we may die to self. And I think that's very true. Uh, I went to boarding school when I was 12 years old uh, in, in Australia, and by the age of 14, you know, there was pornography everywhere. And I didn't become a Christian until I was about 23, 24. So, uh, 10 years of exposure to pornography. And even to today, uh, images just pop up in my mind because they're, they're, they're imprinted in your mind. They're things that don't leave you, right? And I think that's why it's so important, like it says there, to flee sexual morality because once you engage in it, and you keep engaging in it, it's very hard, if not impossible sometimes, to get back out. And that's why it's so foolish uh, what this young Christian man said to me once. He says, The Bible warns me against sin, but how will I know if it's really bad until I try it? Right? I mean, well, the Bible tells you it's bad. Then of course it's bad, right? If you, if you try it and you might like it, then does that mean it's not bad anymore? Well, that's a really foolish thing because once you engage in that sin, especially sexual sin, it is so hard for you to come out of that sin. And that's why, therefore, we must flee sexual sin. And that's why, why in Matthew it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's not saying physically, but saying these are all the steps you must take. So I remember reading one book in terms of uh, sexuality saying that if you struggle with the internet, then if you keep struggling, even with all your software and accountability and everything, then don't go on the net. Because it's better to not go on the net, but at least go to heaven. Right? It's better to live without, you know, uh, Google and everything else. You can live, people lived all their lives without Google many decades ago, and you can live your life without it too. Okay, so flee sexual morality. The last point is fellowship. Okay, so next slide. Okay, Jesus said, while Jesus is still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your brother, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my brother, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, Mark chapter 10. I'll tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3 and 10. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now as we look at these uh, four passages, I think that one of the, the lies that we hear from society is uh, the importance of individualism. Okay, we live our lives as individuals. So for many of us, if we struggle with sexual sin, we struggle by ourselves. We read the Bible by ourselves, we pray by ourselves, we do our quiet time by ourselves, maybe we read some Christian books by ourselves. 
But I think the model that God gives us to overcome sexual sin is not individualism, but community, but fellowship. We are not individuals, but it says there we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. And I think that if we struggle with our sexual sin as individuals, then we are actually missing out on a great strength that we can derive, which is our community, our fellowship, the accountability and encouragement that comes from each other. Now, when I look out on you, I'm sure that some of you struggle with sexual sin. Statistically speaking, some of you will struggle with same-sex attraction. Some of you, more of you, will struggle with pornography. Some of you will struggle with sex before marriage. But very few, if any of you, will share with somebody else in our congregation, either in your Bible studies or in church, your sexual sin. But actually, this is something which the Bible tells us is so valuable and so helpful in terms of your Christian walk. You see, if you think of the Helping Hand brothers, right, the Helping Hand brothers across the road who struggle with drug addiction, why is it that when they are on Helping Hand, they are able to stay drug-free? When they move out Helping Hand, so many of them, up to 80 or 90% of them go back to drugs. What has changed? They still read the Bible outside. They still pray outside. What has changed? The difference is community. See, within the community across the road, there's a community of believers who help each other, hold each other accountable, encourage one another to not take drugs. But when they go out as individuals, it's easy for them to go back to the old habits. The same thing for ourselves. If we want to overcome our sexual immorality, then we need the help of our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Now what I'm not saying is, uh, you know, you come out on a Sunday and you share to the whole congregation all your uh, dirty laundry. But what we do need is to share with friends, close friends at church, to ask them to pray for you, to ask them to, to ask you the hard questions, to encourage you to keep living out your identity in Jesus Christ. Now, one thing I was really struck with, and I didn't realize this until a few weeks ago, was when I went to that conference for people with same-sex attraction, how many times sexual sins are linked with a deep loneliness. Right? Sexual sins, for some people, are linked with loneliness. And I think, as I reflected on it, that it's not just true of people who struggle with lesbianism or homosexuality, right? But it's true with a lot of people. A lot of people are lonely and they try to meet that emotional need in a sexually inappropriate way. Right? So, you know, people are lonely. People don't, have, don't find connection. They want to find connection. They want to find intimacy. But the world says that the only way you find connection and intimacy and to meet that need is through sex. But that is not the answer, right? That is not the answer. In fact, as Christians in a church, we can offer people intimacy, deep relationship connection without sex. We do that because we are one family. We are the family that people do not have. That's the way that we are supposed to be as a church. And I think that Really, it's true. I've, I've spoken to so many people where, you know, it starts off where people are lonely. They feel there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a gaping hole in their life. They want to connect with people. 
So they find that they actually express it because they they have sex with someone in order to meet that need. But the problem is after you you have sex, it's only a temporary solution because you still feel lonely, there's still no connection, you still don't feel as if you met that need. But in Christ, we actually know that in Christ, Jesus has saved us, He's given us all the love we need, and in one another, we have a family. A family which is united, not by sex, but by our love for God and our common identity in Jesus Christ. I remember um, reading this uh, thing by John Stott, which is up here. Okay, so I sort of highlighted all the important bits. John Stott wrote, At the heart of the homosexual condition is a deep loneliness, a natural human hunger for mutual love, a search for identity and a longing for completeness. If homosexual people cannot find these things in the local church family, we have no business to go on using the expression. See, I think it's true, isn't it? For many people, there is a deep loneliness, not just for homosexuals, a desire, a human hunger for mutual love, a search for identity, and a longing for completeness. And actually, one of the things that I realized uh, among many of the Christian people who struggle with same-sex attraction was that when they became Christians, they found that all those human needs that God created in us, completeness, identity, uh, relationship, they, they found that all met in the church, in reading God's Word and knowing about God's love for us. Because our identity is no longer sexual, but Christ. Uh, our, our, we are no longer incomplete, but we are complete because we know that God loves us. We have mutual love for one another because we all have Jesus Christ. So I think that's one thing that we really need to realize, that fellowship is so important if you're struggling with sexual sin, and if there are people out there who are struggling with sexual sin, the Bible and the church actually offers them what they are looking for in their sexual sin. Now, I was, um, I was watching this uh, thing on uh, TV one day, and, and, and this uh, comment came out, and I thought, how appropriate it is, because it's talking about friendship, right? Well, what is a friend? Okay, what is a friend? And this man gave this illustration about how, imagine... You are on a busy road and you fall into the hole. Okay, I've used this. This is not the same illustration. Okay, it's a different illustration. So you're on a busy road and you fall into this deep hole and you cannot get out of this hole. So here you are. You're shouting for help, help, help. You know, get me out of this hole that I've fallen into. But everybody is too busy to help you. You know, they're, they're busy with their own things. They're walking past. They're going to work. Got to meet people. Going for lunch. Going shopping. Who knows what? Right? There's a great sale on. So people cannot help you out of this hole. The doctor walks past, but instead of helping you, he gives you a prescription. But the prescription can't get you out of the hole. A banker stops to help, but he gives you money, and the money can't get you out of the hole. Finally, a friend walks past and sees you in that deep hole. You call to help to your friend, your friend sees you and he jumps into the hole. And you say to your friend, why did you jump in here for, right? Because now you can't help me out. But then your friend says to you, I can help you. You know why? Because I've been here before and I know the way out. And that's true, isn't it? Because for people who are living in sin, people who are struggling with sexual sin, who are outside Jesus Christ, we know the way out. 
Because we've all been there before. We've all lived outside of Jesus Christ before. And we know that in Jesus Christ, there is a way out of this hole. And the way out is because we know that Jesus has defeated sin on the cross. We know that Jesus has given us eternal life. We know that Jesus has given us the power to the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin. And we know the Christian life, which gives wholeness and identity. We know the Christian fellowship, which brings love and community. So I think that that's so important to see that fellowship plays such an important role in helping one another in our sexual sin. And also, in bringing the answer to people who are struggling with their sexual sin out there. That is not that, you know, these people are, you know, really rebellious people. Some of them are just very lonely people and very hurt and broken people. And we can be a friend to them and we can help them because we've been there too. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that in Christ, through the death and resurrection of your Son, you have defeated the sin of the flesh, the sexual sins of the past, the flesh, our sinful nature. Oh God, help us to know that we are completely forgiven in Christ. And give us a real insight into how dangerous sexual sin is. That though it belongs to the sinful nature, to the flesh, but yet it pulls at us and drags at us to take us away from our real identity in Jesus and threatens to drag us all the way back into rebellion against you. We pray for each and every one of us here today that we will flee sexual morality, flee pornography, flee adultery, flee sex outside of marriage, flee same-sex attraction and, and sin, to flee all these perversions of your good creation. And we pray that in fellowship, we will be loving to one another, we will be loving and gracious and caring and encouraging to one another, that when people share their struggles with us within the church or outside, that we will help them see that there is a better way and to help them truly be saved in Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.